pray. All we have is yours. Oh, great I am. All we have. Our intellects, our athletic ability, our musical ability, the opportunities that we have to grow and learn in a place like this, our friendships, our future, all we have is yours. Because we are surrendered to the one who gave it all. And we pray that as a community, we will continue to be called into surrender. We pray today for those in our community who are being asked to let go of things. We think of those in our community who are waiting and watching as a loved one nears the final stretch of life. We lift up our Vice President for Student Life, Shirley Hoekstra, as she waits at the bed of her father and is grateful for his life and is blessed to be surrounded by family and friends in this holy time of watching his homegoing. Surround her and her family with your grace. We think of Bonnie Kerr and her family who are keeping vigil for her father. We thank you that you have promised that every hair on our head is numbered. Not a day for us exists except that you have written it in your book so there are no surprises for you. We pray for all of us who are keeping vigil, watching, waiting, wondering. Thank you that you are God who does not stand far off, but you draw near. You draw near to your people in their time of suffering. You listen to their cry. You respond. We ask as a community of Calvin College that you will keep us responsive to you and what you're asking us to hold loosely to. We think of our president and the vice presidents, the other members of the cabinet, deans, directors, department chairs, as they wonder about budget cuts, as they wonder about strategic planning. Lord, you love this place, but there are things here that may be sacred cows that we need to get rid of. There may be new adventures that you're calling us to pursue. So help us to hold loosely to the things that you're wanting to take out of our hands and to open our hands wide for the things that you want to put into them. Lord, we pray for the community that extends beyond Calvin. We think of parents who are missing their kids who are here. We think particularly for those for whom it was the first time they sent a kid off to college. And they just miss him. They miss her. And so, Lord, help us to be kind when mom or dad or a loved one calls or texts to check in. Help us to be kind, to be sensitive, to be loving. And, Lord, we pray for those in our community who are experiencing the friction that comes with living with people closely now that the novelty of living in a dorm room has worn off and we're actually having to put up with each other. Lord, help us to be kind. If we're doing something that annoys someone else, Lord, help us to know it and stop it. And if we need the courage to tell someone that they're hurting us, 
And Lord, give us that courage and help us to speak words of kindness that build community rather than tear it down. Lord, we pray for our president as he travels and talks with donors and alumni around the world. Keep him safe and also fill him up with a vision of Calvin, how Calvin alums are changing this world, how they are in the places where your heart has been crying out for people to attend. And Lord, we pray that you shape us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, your son, so that we are known first as people who follow Jesus. Help us to live that identity out here at Calvin College and around the world. We pray for our friends who are on semesters abroad to keep them safe, help them to have fun, help them to get a vision of the global church and what you're up to and how they can be a part of it. Expand their horizons. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are the great I am. You are the one who came to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You are the God of our ancestors. You are our God. And so as we read the story of your calling of Moses, help us to pay attention, Holy Spirit, to what you're doing in us, what you're stirring up in us, what we need to pay attention to. And we pray that you will use the words spoken and proclaimed to set us free from the things that entrap us and liberate us to live as children of God. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, amen. So we are looking at the book of? Excellent. How many of you had your first Bible study this week? Woo! Woo! How many of you have yet to uh, have a Bible study gather? It's coming? Haven't started yet? Tonight! Excellent, very good, never too late, all online, very easy. No homework. Have we mentioned this? There's no homework in the Bible study. So we're looking at Exodus 3. This can be found in your pew Bibles on page 44 and 45. Exodus 3, 44 and 45. You'll probably find it helpful to have it open. We'll be reading a rather long section. Your Bibleless? Just checking. So, if you've done the Bible study, you know that we talked about Shipra and Pua, which we did last week. We talked about Moses uh, in the river and saved by Pharaoh's daughter, and then he has this little um, uncomfortable, unfortunate incident where he kills somebody. Pharaoh gets mad, sends him out of the country, he flees to Midian. And uh, gets married, <clears throat> starts working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And so it's been a long time since he's been in Egypt. And here's where we pick up the story. Exodus 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. 
When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, um, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it's I who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God right here on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I've given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I declare that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us now go to a three-day's journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, and I will strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I will bring this people into such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman living in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and of gold and of clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And we're going to keep reading. Then Moses answered, but suppose they don't believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, well, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail, because that's a very safe place from which to grab a snake. (laughs) 
So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand in his cloak. And when he took it out, the hand was leprous, white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. So he put it back in his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. But if they will not believe these two signs or heed you, you'll take some water from the Nile and you'll pour it on dry ground and the water you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or even now that you've spoken to me, your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, um, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak fluently. Even now he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, his heart will be glad. You'll speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you should do. He shall indeed speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your hand this staff, with which you shall perform the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Moses thought it was going to be a regular day. He thought it was going to be a regular day. He's been shepherding the sheep for some time now. He's got it down to a science. The Hebrew says he took them beyond the wilderness, so he's like, you know, trying something new. He's like, well, we've done this area. Let's go over here. Goes around, around the backside of the mountain. He's hanging out. He sees this fire, angel of the Lord in the fire. And he's like, why isn't that bush burning up? How long do you have to watch a bush before you realize it's not being consumed? He's like watching the bush. Is that an angel in the bush? Am I too hot? Have I had enough to drink? Am I dehydrated? What am I seeing over here? The bush is not being consumed. I will turn aside. I will look. I will go. And Lord sees that he's turned aside and he's like, hey, 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 Moses, Moses. Here I am. Come no closer. Okay. But the place that you're standing on is holy ground. In fact, you got to take off your shoes. Moses like, Okay. Okay. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Oh, no, this is not going to be good for me. This is not. Uh, no, I, no, I'm, hi. Ah, he's freaking out. I thought it was going to be an ordinary day. I wanted to go to the shady side of the mountain. I saw an angel in a bush. And then God says, I've heard the cry of my people. I've heard the cry. And you, you, hey, you, now, come, go, go to Pharaoh and tell him I want my people back. What? 
I? That I should go to Pharaoh. And the Hebrew is so clear in this. He's saying, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh. That I should be the one sent to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I'm just a shepherd standing here with no sandals on. Kicked out of the country a while ago because I killed one of their own. The pharaoh there doesn't like me. In fact, he's tried to kill me. I'm the youngest in my family. I'm not very good at what I do. This shepherding thing, I've kind of got this down. But really, who am I? And what we see through this entire conversation, because it is a conversation between Moses and the Most High God. What we see in this conversation between Moses and the Most High God is that Moses keeps laying out his limitations. Who am I that I should do this? God says, I'll be with you. And who exactly are you? Follow-up question. Who are you? I am who I am. Okay, that does not help at all. And he does this, God tells him this whole story. I am who I am, and I've got this vision, and I've got a plan, and it's going to be great, and this is how it's going to work. And he says, Moses says, okay, okay, um, so I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, once upon a time, I was herding sheep, and I saw this bush that was, well, it had an angel in it, and it was kind of on fire, and then it talked to me, and it turned out it was God. And he says, he's going to... Now, call me crazy, Lord, but who is going to believe that? Who's going to believe I saw God in a bush? And he says, well, um, what's in your hand? Staff, throws it down, cloak, pour the water. So God keeps giving him reasons, right? He keeps... It's a healthy conversation. It's a good conversation. God's like, hey, good question. Here's the answer. Oh, that's a good concern. Here's how I'm going to deal with that. He keeps answering the questions. Moses keeps saying, I'm not qualified. You, I can't talk. I don't know anything. They're not going to believe me. God keeps saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with, you. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to be with you. And Moses keeps thinking of his limitations. He keeps leaning into his limitations. He keeps thinking about all the things that he's not, all the things that he can't, all the things that he won't, all the things that he doesn't want to do. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Because my limitations are just too much. Have you been there? You're thinking, oh, maybe someday I could be an RA. That sounds really fun. I could, you know, really have a presence on the floor, lean in, and then you walk down one of those dorm hallways that's, like, super decorated. Like, it has a color scheme, and everything's done so thoughtfully and beautifully and laminatedly. (laughs) And you walk down this beautiful hall that someone has just decorated in such a beautiful way, and you think, well, I could never be an RA because I cannot do this.
or you're hitting the pickup games for basketball because there's no practice yet, it's just pickup games. And you're hitting the pickup games and you're realizing that while you started as a player in high school, you may not even make the team in college. Or you're sitting in your upper level nursing class and the person who's sitting next to you raises her hand and she asks a question that makes you realize that she understands the material at much greater depth than you have ever understood the material. <laughs> and you look over at her and you think, in six months I'm competing with her for a job. Oh, please apply for a job outside of West Michigan. There are times in our life when we become very aware of our limitations. That's from when we go from high school to college, or we go from 101 to 325, or we go from living with people who put up with our stuff to living with people who don't put up with our stuff. And suddenly we become very aware of our limits. That's kind of scary. And when we have this talk about vocation and calling and what do you want to be when you grow up and what are you going to do, and we can get a little Moses-y and be like, I can't do nothing. And we go to career development and they give us those tests. You know, here's a personality test and here's a strengths finder test and here's a disc profile test and let's figure out exactly who you are and what can work. And you take all the tests and you think, I don't like who I am. When I was in college, I had a friend who took the Myers-Briggs personality test through, it was then through the counseling center, and they sat down with him to explain the findings, here's how you are, this is what your category is, and he didn't like it. And he's like, uh, can I take it again? And she's like, well, it's not like you can study for this. It's, it's a personality test. And he said, I, I don't think it's right, I really want to take it again. And so she said, well, okay, you know, the first one's free, the second one has a fee. And he's like, that's fine, that's fine, I'll pay the fee. Took it again, same result. <laughs> now he's really upset. He's like, this isn't who, I don't think this is really capturing who I am. I want to take it a third time. Three times. Takes the test. Same result. He says, I don't like who I am. I don't like who I am. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. We experience these limitations, don't we? And don't think for a minute that anybody in this room doesn't have them. It's easy for us to look around and go, oh, that person, first chair, great GPAs, lots of friends, no limitations, sky's the limit. And that person's thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pass my PE classes. You just don't know. We all have these limitations. We all get frozen by them. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm going to be. Limitations. Do you notice that in this story, at no point does God try to, like, buck up Moses? He doesn't give him a little pep talk. Like, hey, Moses, let me tell you something. Look, look, you're smart. 
you're good looking, you're an ENTJ, those are leader types. <laughs> On the disc, you're like a DI, which is perfect for what I need you to do. You've got woo as a strength. <laughs> like, I have poured into you, Moses. You got skills, man. Step up. Let's go. You can do it. Does that ever happen in the Bible? What does God say to Moses? I will be with you. I don't know about I will be with you. I don't know about I will be with you. I don't know about I will be with you. It's a bit of a refrain, which is why when Moses gets to the point, he's like, please send someone else. God's like, oh. <laughs> listen, Moshe, I've got people. <laughs> he can't believe it. Like I've said, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And people have looked at Moses, and they've looked at his story, and books have been written, and Bible studies are written, and you can learn about Moses and his character, and how he becomes a leader, and all this kind of stuff, which actually isn't very interesting, because the true question is not, why does God call Moses? The interesting question in this story is, why does God call? Why does God call? Why does God call? Verse 7. The Lord said, I have heard the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the Egyptians and bring them up to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has come to me. I have seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now, it's tempting to read this and think, well, like now, all of a sudden, God, you figured out that these people were having a hard time? But the Hebrew verbs are very intentional and they're very intense. God is saying, I have been paying attention to these people for a while now. I know their sufferings is the language that's used. And knowing here means their sufferings are my sufferings. I know their sufferings as if they were my own. I know my people. I know their sufferings. They have been oppressed. I have heard their cry. It's breaking my heart. So Moses, now come, go to Pharaoh and give my people back. Why does God call? Because he has compassion and he has covenant love for these people. And it is the fullness of time. The time has come for things to happen. The time has come for things to act. God can't bear it another minute. The compassion, the covenant love in God is overwhelming. So now Moses, go. God calls Moses because of God's compassionate love for his people. He doesn't give Moses a pep talk. He doesn't make it about Moses because it's not about Moses. It's all about God. It's all about a God whose heart is breaking for his people. He can't stand it another minute. So please, Moses, put your sandals on. Let's go. We got work to do. 
God calls out of his compassionate love for people. And if that's true, then how does that shape how we talk about vocation and calling and jobs and things like that here at Calvin College? If God's call comes out of his compassionate love for people, then the question we need to be asking may not be what's your personality type or what are you interested in, but where in this world do you sense the heart of God is breaking for people who are suffering? What would it look like if in the education department the people put up a map of the world and they said these are the top 25 cities where they are in desperate need of good teachers? What if the nursing department put up a map of all the rural areas in the United States that dealt with chronic illness that could be helped if they had nursing care? What if we thought about our call less in terms of who I am and more in terms of what God is doing in the world? What would that look like? It's so easy to get really narcissistic, really egocentric, really focused on your own stuff and your own soul and your own gifts and what's God calling me to do and what's God up to in my life and I don't really know. And God just wants to come and say, look, my heart is breaking for people. My heart is breaking for people. This isn't about you. I will be with you. We got this. Go. What would it look like? What would it look like if in our career development office we had people who said for the first 20 minutes of your appointment we're just going to sit here in silence and listen for the Holy Spirit? Just see what God's up to. What would it look like if in media relations we said, who's got a story out there that needs to be told? Who's got a story about either what God is up to in the world or where, oh, where we need God to be working in the world? Where are those stories? Who can tell them? Who can write them? Who can film them? Who can compose music for them? Who can be the storytellers that let us know what God is up to in the world? Who can point us to places where God's heart is breaking in the world so that we will go? God's call comes out of his compassionate love for his people. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about his people. And let me tell you something. This happens through your whole life. Maybe the call to be an RA is a call that God says, I have some young men whom I'm going to call you to lay your life down for. Maybe the call to be an athlete is the call to say, 
I've got a team that is in desperate need of someone to come in and love them. Maybe the call to be a teacher is the call that God says in 15 years, there are going to be a, there's going to be a room full of fifth graders and they are going to be broken and hurting and they're going to need a teacher who is going to love them. What does it look like if the call to be a business person involves transforming the world for the sake of the kingdom of God? That better business leads to healthier neighborhoods, leads to healthy cities, leads to a healthier world. What does it look like through the course of a life? Some of you know that Professor Joel Navarro, who has been a choir director here for years, is leaving at the end of this year. And he's taken a call to Singapore Bible College. And he writes about it like this. You can put the image up of Joel if you've got it, just so you know who I'm talking about for those of you who are first-year students. That's Joel Navarro, Professor Navarro. He says, two years ago, I was asked by the dean of the School of Church Music at Singapore Bible College to consider joining their faculty two years ago. I'd invited several times by their college to conduct worship workshops and give lectures and seminars to the growing churches in Southeast Asia. Back then, I had politely turned down their invitation. I valued my work here at Calvin. I had great students, colleagues, choirs, a meaningful involvement with Church of the Servant, a life balanced between teachings, scholarship, creative pursuits, family, church. Besides, my son was still studying at Calvin, and I wanted to be here for him until he graduated. The persistent prayers, tears, and pleading of their faculty and students did not go unheeded. Last August, they offered me the challenge to be in the mission and service of teaching, mentoring a growing graduate school population, and most of these people will come from the house churches behind the Iron Curtain. The churches in Southeast Asia are bursting at the seams. Very few of their homegrown talents who have since departed for overseas study come back. In short, I've accepted their offer. This is going to be my final year at Calvin. If you ask me, I wish I could retire here at Calvin. While the decision to return to Asia was very hard to make, it was calling that was very hard to ignore. For my wife and I, returning to Asia is coming full circle to our early ministry as elder and deacon in the Christian Reformed Church in the Philippines. Then we ministered to the shanty towns of the metropolis. It would be fitting to end my teaching ministry and give back to the region where my wife and I grew up. And then he says this. While we do not understand the ways of God at times, we remain confident in our only comfort in life and in death. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants us to serve in his great and vast kingdom. I still have a full school year at Calvin College, and it's my every intention to be to them as I have always been, their servant leader, no more, no less. There is much work to do, and God marches in step with us in this unforgettable adventure. A call is not just about you. When God calls, he calls you to a people. He called Joel to a people. 
When Joel and I were talking about this, he said, Amay, his, that's his wife, Amay and I are going to be living like missionaries. He said, we're going to have to simplify our life. We're going to have to really make some big changes. But we just can't get away from the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is growing like crazy here. And this is where we need to go. When God calls, he calls out of his compassionate love for people. Now, the beautiful thing is, he has already called people to be there for you. This is the most amazing thing about the church of Jesus Christ. Not only does he call you to be there for other people, he calls other people to be there for you. And when we get that right, when all of us are less consumed about our limitations and I don't have it right and I don't like who I am, and we lean into the fact that he says, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you. The more we can celebrate what the church of Jesus Christ has invited to become. Because we are invited to imitate our Savior who listened to the calling of his Father God and was obedient out of his covenant love for us. God calls out of his covenant love for his people. That's much bigger than us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, you are never asleep. You are never bored. You are never ignorant of what's happening in your world. Forgive us when we think that you're far off, that you're not paying attention. Because we have seen in this passage that you know the suffering of your people and that you long for covenant partners who will lean into it with you. Thank you for promising great I am that you will be with us. Wherever we are, you will provide. Whether you call us to the desert, whether you call us to places of flourishing, whether you call us to Singapore, you will provide for us. Lord, forgive us when we make it about us and our abilities or our inabilities. Forgive us when we say send somebody else. Instead, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll shape us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, going all the way to death on a cross. Help us to lay down our lives for you and for your passionate love for your people. Thank you. And it's much bigger than us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.